Well, as I mentioned in my welcome this morning, this weekend kicks off a three-week sermon series that I'll be doing, uh, looking through the book of James, as I call it, journeying through James. And we'll be looking at kind of three big life questions. Uh, And this morning we look at, does God test me? Does, Does God tempt me? And James is kind of a roadmap, I think, for us when we hit some real challenges in life. And so as we journey through James together over these next weeks, I hope that it'll be helpful and inspiring for you to be able to look at James as as kind of a manual for, for those tough times that we come up against in life. And so this morning we look at James chapter 1, uh, verses 13 through 21. We read in the Good News translation, If we are tempted... By such trials, we must not say this temptation comes from God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself tempts no one. But we are tempted when we are drawn away and trapped by our own evil desires. And the NIV translation continues, Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth, that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. The word of the Lord. Have you ever had one of those days or maybe one of those weeks where you find yourself tried and tested at the end of your rope of patience of life, or maybe found yourself just tried and tested in your tolerance of what life brings at you. I had one of those weeks this past week that my wife Christine and I entitled and named this past week, The Week That Everything Broke the week that everything broke. Our main family car started sputtering and the check engine light went on and she and the kids are at Lake George for the summer and I'm here in Syracuse most of the time. And I don't know about you, but as soon as I hear or see the check engine light go on in the car, it's like the lottery of car death. You spin the wheel and you bring it into the mechanic shop and you don't know, is it gonna be a $30? repair part or is it going to be five thousand dollars you don't know so you spin the check engine light wheel well we spun the wheel and we won the big time there's nothing like a twelve hundred dollar repair bill that just starts your week off right but on top of that the mechanic lost the keys to our car so the mechanic could not perform said work until I came with the only other pair of car keys. So there the car sat for day after day after day. I told you, it was the week that everything broke. And on top of that, while boating on Lake George, uh, it was a great time. 
and my sister-in-law and her kids were there, and my sister uh, and her kids were there, and our kids were there. So we had all these people on the boat, and we're tubing and having lots of fun. When all of a sudden, my sister-in-law goes to hit the throttle, and the boat does nothing. The boat does nothing, and kids are sitting on the tube waiting to get pulled down the lake. No gas. The fuel gauge had read half a tank. And so when I went and inspected, visually inspected the gas tank, there was not a drip of gas in it. And not only that, it happened a second time that we ran out of gas on the lake. It was the week that everything broke. And while I was away, I got a call from our alarm company for our house that a motion sensor went off. Well, the police had to come and check everything out, looked fine. And then it happened at 3 a.m. when I was sleeping. And then the sensor went off again, the police came, and everything was fine. Well, what was going on? The sensor was malfunctioning. And I got one of those letters in the mail that says, if you have one more false call, you're going to be fined by the state of New York for false calls and blah, 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 blah. Then all of our kids got swimmer's ear. And one of them stepped on a fishing hook, and the other one came down with a fever, and we couldn't get prescriptions to fix all this with the pharmacists. It was the week that everything broke. My car broke, the boat broke, and my kid's ear broke. Everything was just broke. And the week just tried and tested my patience with our life, our marriage, our family, our relationships. You know, when stuff like that happens, all waters rise, and everyone just gets a little on edge, don't they? I just wanted to throw my hands up and shout at the top of my lungs, what next, God? What else is going to break? Is the tree going to crash on our house? Is someone going to get cancer? Is something going to fall out of the sky and crash right on my car? I give up, God. I give up. As people, we all have a limit to our capacity for things that break in our life. Adversity, challenge, and struggle in this past week I had extended beyond my capacity to be able to address and remedy life's challenges and the brokenness of things going on in our life. And it's at these times, at these points, that we have these challenges that we say, God, are you you just testing me? God, are you trying to ruin my life? Because we believe in an all-powerful, all-loving, all-knowing God. Doesn't God know we can only handle just so much in life? I wonder if James, when wrestling with his epistle, his pastoral letter, had some challenges in mind when he was writing about trials and tests and temptations in his first chapter. James's first chapter offers us some considerations to this question. Does God test or tempt us? But that may not really address the underlying question that's beneath that, which is, why? Why, God? Why me? Why now? Why all at once? Instead, I believe James offers us some tools and concepts to be able to address some of life's biggest challenges and questions. It's been said in the Christian life that, quote, God will never give you more than you can handle. God will never give you more than you can handle. And maybe you've heard this 
someone say this, maybe on the radio or in a conversation, or, or maybe you yourself have said this as a way to try to soften the blow to respond to someone that has a week that everything breaks. <laughs> or maybe when someone is hit with a major struggle in life. Feel free to disagree with me on this, but I don't believe in the expression, God will never give you more than you can handle. And feel free to disagree with me. It's not going to hurt my feelings. But I don't believe this because there are two underlying assumptions about this statement. The first one is this. This statement assumes that God orchestrates every good and bad thing in life, and we have no free will. The second, this statement assumes that we will always have the self-reliant power to positively think or to will our way through everything in life. The fact is we do have free will, and other people have free will. And sometimes things happen to us, like the free will for a mechanic to lose the keys to your car so it can't be worked on. But we do have free will. And sometimes there are some things and problems that arise that are too big in life. Sickness, broken marriage, challenges at work. Some things are just too enormous that we do need God's help. And we need our fellow Christians help. Years ago, I had a, a friend who discovered he had cancer, and in, this was when we were teenagers. It was a childhood cancer, and it would be a, a very long and difficult journey of treatment. And after he had finally beat it, I asked him, you know, what, what got you through this? And I'll never forget what he said. He said this, if I didn't have God, and I didn't have our church with me, I would have never made it. Now, I always keep that memory of what my friend said, his statement, as a way to remind ourselves and as a way to remind myself that I, we, can't do life's struggles, all of life's struggles, simply on our own power, our own will. We can't always do it alone. When facing grief, loss, struggle, pain, we are tempted to believe maybe God is testing us. But I do not believe that God tests us or tempts us. And you may say, all right, Alan, but it says right there in James 13 that God cannot, be God cannot tempt anyone. But what about Abraham and Isaac? when Abraham almost sacrificed Isaac, his son, until God intervened. Because in my Bible, it says in Hebrews 11, God tested Abraham, dot, dot, dot. Or even in James' first chapter, verses 3 and 4, it says testing produces endurance. Or even in the Lord's Prayer, we prayed this morning, that we pray that we may not be led into temptation. Yes, all those statements are true. However, there's a nuance we may miss here. See, if by testing you mean that God has to bring some sort of calamity or disaster or personal tragedy in order to see if we got the right stuff or not, then no, I don't think God tests us. This thinking assumes that God must bring something awful in our way in order to discern our trustworthiness or our faithfulness. 
See, this thinking believes that God doesn't already know us. This assumes that God does not already know our capacity. However, God knows our capacity. God created us. He knows how many hairs we have in our head, or maybe we don't have in our head. God knows what we need to do even before we know what we need to do. God knows our faith. He knows our ability to grow. Of the 59 times in the Old and New Testament that the word test is mentioned, it is usually from the perspective of the believer. That something has to be done in order for the believer to discover a deeper quality in themselves. In both the Hebrew and Greek, the words nasal or parazo mean a type of test, but it has a deeper meaning that something has to be attempted, an endeavor, or a discovery of character. A discovery that's a self-discovery and not a God discovery. You know, in our American culture, we think of testing or to take a test as maybe something inherently negative. If you want to drive a, a car in New York, you have to take a driving test. It's pass-fail. And there will be someone who you don't know who is going to examine your driving. And so often we're tempted to believe that's how God works. That God is some distant, cold test evaluator. However, God does not work like that. Many may know the name C.S. Lewis as the person who wrote the famous children's books, The Chronicles of Narnia. But many may not know that C.S. Lewis was an Oxford professor, an atheist Oxford professor, before he wrote his many children's books. C.S. Lewis was a poet, and he had rejected God for most of his life up until the point that he began to study the world's religions and decided Christianity made the most sense and offered the most meaning and hope in life. And Lewis went on to write some of the greatest books in, for modern Christians to read, Mere Christianity, who have helped millions of people. However, there was something that Lewis felt that he was missing, and in his advanced age, Lewis was never married. And he thought he would never marry. Until one day, he met a woman named Joy through personal correspondence. And through the many letters that he got, he began to develop a romantic relationship with Joy, and the two met. And it was through this experience that Lewis began to discover love in such a way as an expression of our human capacity in life. And Lewis and Joy were married. And for three years, Lewis entered into this new phase of his life as a married man. But one day, that all changed. And after thinking that he would never marry, only to marry his wife, Joy, she died unexpectedly. Now, from the outside, it seems cruel for such a thing to happen. How could God allow a man who thought he would never find happiness in marriage only to marry to have his wife die three years later? Lewis began searching in his grief and he tried to begin to map out his grief, and he wrote a book entitled A Grief Observed about his experience of losing his wife. 
And in his book, he expresses frustration. He expresses his love for his wife, reflections of grief, and also acceptance of his wife's death. And in trying to come to terms with his trial of working through his wife's loss, he wrote about how God does not try to send us tests, but something else happens. He wrote this. God has not been trying an experiment on my faith or love in order to find their quality. He already knew it. It was I who didn't. In this trial, he makes us occupy the dock, the witness box, and the bench all in one. And Lewis writes this, he always knew that my temple was a house of cards. See, I think C.S. Lewis did something that maybe few of us can discover when we go through painful times in our life about self-discovery and about what God does in those moments. Whether it be divorce or loss of a spouse or loss of a job or a loved one or enduring the pain of being injured by someone or struggling through a relationship, God does not send these predicaments to see if we're faithful or loving or not. But something else happens. What if, instead of God sending tests our way, what if God is not the originator of tests or temptations? But what if it is that God is there with us? What if God is there when we meet these trials and struggles head on? What if God is not on the other end as a divine test evaluator, but on our end, struggling right there with us as the divine cheerleader and divine supporter? When we are in pain, God is in pain right there with us. God is right there through the growing pains of our struggles and challenges. I like Eugene Peterson's The Message Version of the Bible for James chapter 1, verses 3 through 8. He writes, When tests and challenges come at you at all sides, you know that under pressure your faith life is forced into the open and shows its true colors. So don't try to get out of anything prematurely. Let it do its work so you become mature and well-developed, not deficient in any way. And if you don't know what you're doing, pray to the Father. He loves to help. You'll get this help. If you haven't already experienced this in life, there are going to be times when you feel like your life is so broke and you can't fix it. And you're right. Sometimes there will be things that you cannot fix, but the good news is, is that you do not have to fix it that sometimes in life there are only God fixes. Things that God can only do to heal wounds, rebuild relationships, restore the brokenness in our lives. Growing up, I always found the 23rd Psalm to be a, a source of comfort, and even in funerals, I read it. It's read as a way to talk about one's journey through life and growing up, we were taught to read it in the King James Version, 
And it wasn't until many years later that I noticed that there's a change in the 23rd Psalm. It begins, the Lord is my shepherd. It talks about God from a distant perspective. But then the psalmist, and we think it's David, suddenly uses the personal thou when he talks about the dark valley. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Thou art with me. David doesn't fear it because he has such a strong presence of God's accompaniment even in those low, dark, dirty, scary places of life. And I think David realized that those dark and difficult trials are not God throwing the worst at us and seeing what will happen. Instead, in the 21st Psalm, David realized that God was there, right there in those deep, scary, depressing places in life, and that God had not abandoned him. Friends, God has not abandoned you in the darkest valleys of life. God is right there with you. After I finished the week that everything broke last week, in my prayer time I realized something. That even in my preparing to preach James chapter 1, I suddenly found myself reminding the words of James to be slow to speak and quick to listen. God was telling me to listen in the middle of the week that broke everything. That in turn, I had to look around at the gifts that God had given me in my life. My wife, my children, my friends, a wonderful church. And that no matter what God can say in that moment, I knew that I had to be reminded of the scripture from James that even though that I would be the preacher, that I would also need to be the receiver of this message. May you know that as you start your week, that no matter how life's challenges are thrown at you, no matter how dark it may seem, no matter in those moments when you wonder, God, are you testing me? God is right there. May you know that sometimes we cannot fix things. And we need God to fix things. And we need others to help us. So may you allow others this week to come in. To come into those broke moments. To come into those moments of pain and challenge. To let God in and let God be God. May you know the power of God's wonderful presence in the midst of life's trials, tests, and challenges. Let us pray. God, we confess that so often we, we really struggle. We struggle with the, the little things that add up in our life, those little inconveniences. But God, help us know that even in the big things of life, the big hard-to-move blocks, that we have in our relationships and marriages and struggles at work and within our families, that God, these are not things that are meant to try us in such a way to be able to see if we're faithful or not or trustworthy or not. God, help us to be able 
to know that we are your children and you care for us. And you're there right with us in those dark valleys. God, help us to be quick to listen and slow to speak. God, we ask that you walk with us this week as we walk through the trials, the tests, and struggles. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.